What's up guys, Mike Sharp here again. This is Contrarian Corner, the third episode, and I'm gonna talk about Bayer today. So, Bayer, not only does it have a beautiful hockey stick down chart trading near its COVID and uh, 10 year lows, actually 12 year lows, uh, the last time it was down this low other than COVID was 2011. Um, in addition to that, being contrarians, we love stocks that are hated, and this is a, a company that is hated by many. Um, they have a history, uh, you can look it up in World War II. They also um, are a pharmaceutical company, and other than a brief stint during COVID, pharmaceutical companies are generally well hated in the world. Uh, and to top it all off, they bought one of the most hated companies in the world, Monsanto, a few years ago for way too much money, which I will get into shortly. Um, this company, the, well, I guess the opportunity here is maybe two-pronged. Um, like, as I mentioned, they bought Monsanto a few years ago, and there's a pot, and that, that led to a situation where um, Peter Lynch would have called this diversification. We talked about that on the punch card episode last week. Um, but they basically this this purchase had nothing to do with their core business. Um, it's a crop science business. They make seeds, they make uh, pesticides, and it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with pharmaceuticals or, or over-the-counter drugs, um, except maybe that they all involve chemistry. So maybe there's some overlap there with uh, the staff they can employ, but um, generally there's not a lot of synergies between these companies. So there is the possibility that they might de-diversify in the future. So undo this mess that, that they've made um, a number of years ago. And then on the other side, the other prong is that it could just be a value investing purchase that's just trading much too cheap and eventually will revert to its sort of mean uh, valuation level. Now, I expect um, one of these two things to happen or not in the next two years. Uh, and so for me, uh, I would be looking at it as sort of a, you know, I'm going to get an answer within two years or I'm going to get rid of this stock. Now, just um, for uh just to be clear, I don't actually own this company yet. Uh, I'm still researching it and I'm still deciding whether it's something I want to invest in because, you know, there are some serious risks here too, which I will get into later. Um, there, it's, it's, the, the, the stock isn't trading down this much for no reason. So um, there are risks attached and uh, I'm trying to figure out if it suits my portfolio. Now, quickly, the 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 company overview is it operates, it has three different segments. Uh, it has pharmaceuticals, which are the prescription drugs, the proprietary drugs they have. They can charge a lot for these um, because they have the patents. The second segment is consumer health, and that is like over-the-counter products like aspirin or Alka-Seltzer, Aleve. Uh, they have tons of these, these, uh, these name brands that you would know, uh, and that's the consumer health division. Uh, and then the third one is crop science, which is basically Monsanto. Um, and that is sort of the, the outlier here in terms of the uh, core business. So I will get into all three of those shortly. All right, let's do a high level view of the financial statements. Now this is going to be very high level. I'm gonna leave it up to you to dig into these a bit more, um, but I will just go over the sort of general um, 
the general outline here. Now, if we look at the sales over the last five years, you can see that uh, Bear does grow. It's a slow grower. Um, I would say you probably can expect three to five percent going forward. And in 2022, they were actually ahead of um, ahead of schedule with their revenue, uh, and there is, is a reason for that. And this year, they are pulling back. Um, to a lower level than in 2022. So um, what happened in 2022 was, uh, particularly on the crop science side, uh, a lot of uh, people were stockpiling uh, stuff like Roundup. And that is, you know, that pulled forward demand essentially, because there's a lot of worry, uh, still worry about supply chains and pricing. And so there was a lot of inventory buildup in 2022, and that inventory is getting worked off in 2023. So the um, the sales and and uh, profitability numbers have actually come down this year. Um, if we look at EBITDA, uh, it, I don't love EBITDA. I mean, Charlie says they're BS earnings, and I tend to agree with them. But the truth is that when uh, deals are made in the space, this is typically the um, metric that they look at. And that's relevant in the future because we're going to look at the potential deal with the crop science um, segment of the business. So anyway, EBITDA last year was 13.5 billion. Um, year before was just over 11 billion. And this year, they look like they're tracking at about 11.5 billion. So you can see that it's come down um, pretty substantially from 2022. And that's part of the reason the stock is down because the, um, you know, in, the investors say, oh, uh, numbers coming down that bad sell, right? Um, if you look at EBIT, uh, this is a more legitimate number because it takes out uh, the depreciation. It removes the removed depreciation and amortization. So those numbers are still pretty strong. 7.3 billion uh, 21 and then 9.3 billion in 2022. Um, now, the one we want to look at is core earnings per share. Um, so this is this takes out all the all the accounting mess, you know, they have to write off parts of this segment or, you know, they take take an accounting charge here or they get a one-off benefit there. This sort of uh, normalizes all that stuff. And you can see that they had a pretty big jump in 2022 uh, to 7.94. Now this year, the analysts estimate that it will come back down to 6.22. So that's even, um, that's lower than even the 2019 numbers. So again, reason why um, people are selling the stock. Uh, they think that's an indication of what's to come, or maybe it's just re, um, readjusting the stock to its current value. But if you, if I'm looking at this company trading at forty dollars and ninety nine, no, sorry, forty euros ninety nine, um, even at this year's earnings six twenty two, that's less than a seven times uh, earnings multiple. So we start to see why a value investor might be interested in this company. Now, let's also keep in mind, this is a 160 year old company. There are, they're a blue chip company. They aren't expected to be going anywhere anytime soon. And usually those kind of companies have a little bit of a premium attached to them in the local markets. And right now there's no premium attached at all. And there's, there's definitely a discount as far as I'm concerned. Um, so let's dig into the segment results. So crop science, uh, you can see this is sort of the biggest chunk piece of the pie. They went uh, from 20 billion to 25 billion in revenue in 2022, and the EBITDA jumped to almost 7 billion. Now that number is coming down this year, and that's the primary reason why the the sales have come down, the sales and the earnings numbers have come down in uh, 2023, and that's 
due to the sort of uh, destocking, working through inventory this year. But I, my expectation is that it will normalize next year uh, in 2024. So that's a bit of a catalyst um, for us value investors that might just want to catch the catch the market as it as the as the sentiment turns in the pharma segment. Uh, it went from 18.3 billion in 21 to 19.3 billion in 22. EBITDA was pretty stable, um, 5.8 to 5.9 billion. Uh, consumer health again. This is the over-the-counter segment, and that's that's not as profitable as you would expect because there's no sort of um, proprietary uh, advantage there. This is just they're just competing with all other house brands and over-the-counter brands. So uh, last year the the revenue was 6.1 billion and EBITDA was uh, only 1.4 billion. If we look at the uh, the concerning metrics here in the five-year results are, you know, the free cash flow is not actually that good, right? So if we look at earnings, it looks good. But looking at free cash flow, I mean, it looks like the average about three, three and a half billion a year in terms of free cash flow. Last year, it was three billion. Um, and so that's one of the areas where you might want to have some caution if you're, um, if you're a value investor. Take a look at that and make an estimate of what, you know, 2024 free cash flow is going to be. I don't think 2020, sorry, 2024 is when we should be looking ahead with this number, but I still don't think it's going to equate to earnings per share. So that's a that's a bit of a red flag there. Uh, also return on capital employed, not great numbers. I mean, this looks like to me, just eyeballing, it looks like it probably averages around 4% a year, except for, well, maybe it's like 5% if you take out the 2020. Um, but still, that's not, a, that's not a great return on uh, return on capital numbers. So some red flags there. Uh, on the upside, you have a dividend that's actually, they're, they're pretty committed to the dividend, right? They did cut it from 2.8 to 2 euros during COVID. Um, but I think that was, you know, that's an extraordinary event. I don't expect them to be cutting the dividend anytime soon. Um, they're pretty committed to it. It's it's now back up to 2.4%. So uh, at this at this price of 41 euros, you're looking at a 5.8% dividend. So that's a pretty nice um, uh, dividend rate just to sit and wait to see if some of these uh, some of these catalysts come through. Okay, so basically the argument, the first argument uh, for buying the stock as a value investor, you'd say, okay, uh, they're going to make eleven point eight billion in uh, EBITDA. Let's use that number. I, I was looking at sort of average rates that competitors are trading for or that they sell for in the space and. It looks like the average is somewhere between eight and thirteen, uh, eight and thirteen multiple. So I'm going to use a ten point seven multiple, which would put the enterprise value for the stock at one hundred and twenty billion. Now we should really mention the debt here. The debt is a bit. Uh, it's not a bit. It's very high. Um, they're actually planning on paying down the debt, but in 2023 it actually expanded. Um, so they're close to forty billion in net debt. So take the the enterprise value of 120 billion, take off that 40 billion in um, in net debt, and you're left with an 80 billion market cap. Now that's almost double the current price, even with that huge debt, uh, that huge debt load. Now, the part of the problem with the stock is because they've diversified, they don't get full multiples here for any of the segments, right? So 
um, you know, it may get up to like a 10 times, uh, 10 times multiple, and it may not. In the past, it has. If you look at the chart, you can see that, in, that it has been trading at higher multiples in the past. So that's a good indication that it may return to that. Now, next year, if we look at the analysts' um, targets, you know, I, I know you got to take these with a grain of salt because the analysts are, you know, they change them all the time. So they have a bad quarter. They change all the numbers. They're, these aren't really solid, but they're looking at about 68 uh, earnings per share next year, which would be about a 10% result or jump from where they are headed in 2023. Now, my guess is that if they show a 10% uh, growth rate on the earnings per share side, and then revenue also reaccelerates because people are actually the the um, the Roundup glyphosate uh, purchase is normalized next year. I think that the opposite of what's happening now could happen next year, right? You've got people running away now because of a bad couple of quarters, uh, which you can see coming actually, but nobody sees it coming until it comes. Well, some people do, but but it looks like the market doesn't. Next year, you might get the exact opposite. You say, oh my gosh, look how this company's doing. It is doing, it's doing great. Let's everyone buy, right? You could definitely have that scenario happen in uh, 20. 24, I think. So that's something I'd be looking for. If it didn't materialize, I might consider if this if the uh, the earnings increased, but the stock didn't respond, that might be um, a time where I'd consider getting out of the position. Uh, before I get into the second uh, potential thing that could go right here, I want to talk about some of the problems they're having. Okay, so um, they are a pharmaceutical company, obviously, and um, they have a a drug called Zarelto, which is their blockbuster drug, and it and it uh, is responsible for quite a lot of their sales. Uh, they're on track to have about four billion in sales this year on a very high um, high margin. Now, this this uh, drug is actually losing its patent in over the next what's well, lost it in some countries already, and the big ones are still on the way. Now, the EU. Um, no, the U.S. starts to, to the patents start to wind down next year in 2024, and then the EU comes off in 2026. And so, what you're going to see is, you know, they call it the the uh, patent cliff. So the, the patents are going to come off. All the um, over the counter, or not over the counter, the um, generic um, knockoffs are going to start hitting the market, and it's going to drag the price of this down and the sales of this down, and it's almost. Well, it is guaranteed. Um, so this is going to create an, an earnings and a revenue headwind probably between uh, now and tw and 2030, right? You'll see that come down. It won't, won't happen all at once, but it's going to be a huge headwind that they're going to have to replace over time. Now, uh, with the pipeline, they do have a very strong pipeline in terms of oncology, but and I've seen some estimates uh, that show that they could you know, get up to 12 billion in new revenue from uh, their drugs that are coming online over the next, you know, let's say five, seven years. Uh, but that is going to take quite a while for it to really uh, play out as these new drugs come on. They don't hit at um, at scale. It takes, it takes a number of years to scale up. Um, so there is going to be a gap, I think, where they where the earnings and revenue actually come down. Um, so that's one of the problems we're facing with the company. The other one that if you Google Bayer stock, you, this is going to be the first thing that comes up. Uh, they have tons of lawsuits um, based on the glyphosate product, which is Roundup. Uh, so there's 
an argument in the world as to whether this causes cancer or not. Some of the agencies around the world say it doesn't. Some say it potentially does. Um, and they have a lot of lawsuits. They had 130,000 plus lawsuits in the U.S. ongoing with this um, with this issue. They have settled over 100,000 of them, and there's, so there's only about 30k outstanding. They put a huge amount of money aside to pay these pay these losses. Um, well, they've done they've they've made the accounting entry. They haven't put the cash aside, so that's the issue. Like it, it's. Um, for those who don't understand accounting, you can have it hit the income statement at one time where you post the loss, but then the cash flow, the, the um, impact on the cash flow statement, statement may be later. So I think that's what's happening here. Um, and also they pull this stuff out when they're talking about their normalized earnings, right? So just keep in, uh, keep in, keep in mind, this is in the background and it's pretty big. Um, these are, you know, billions of dollars in damages that they end up having to pay out, and we don't actually know the final number. Now, in the company's favor, the last, I think, nine cases have gone their way in the U.S., so it indicates that possibly their uh, expected liability here, they might have overestimated it, which would do the opposite. They could do an accounting entry in the other direction and remove some of those um those loss contingencies. Um, so that's the that's the glyphosate in, um, issue, and that is sort of a cloud that overhangs this company at all times. And I don't know if it's ever going to go away uh, because you know there can be new new cases at any point here. Um, on the other side of that, not no on the same side of it. Another problem with that is that um, various countries have banned banned it. Uh, the EU is. Uh, their license re uh, is up in December, so in two months from now, or less than two months actually, and they haven't had it renewed, renewed yet. So there is a small risk, or the, maybe a medium risk, I'm not really sure how big the risk is there, that they actually don't get it renewed. But the truth is farmers love this product. My father-in-law was a farmer and he swears by this stuff, right? It helps increase your yields, which means you make more money, you know, you, lo you lose far less of your, your crop to, um, to pests and weeds and things like that. And ultimately it keeps the price down for consumers, right? Because if everything was organically grown, you couldn't get the yields, the prices would all go up. So you could argue it's, it's good for consumers too, assuming there's no serious uh, risk of getting cancer. That's up to you. I'll leave that to you to decide what you think on that one. But just know that that's sort of in the background. Now it's in the foreground with this company. Okay, so the maybe the most interesting part of this um, this thesis is the potential of a spinoff. Uh, there is a lot of noise about a spinoff of the crop science um, segment of the business, and there's also some rumors about the consumer health division being spun off. So what what that would do is that would unlock some of this some of the parts valuation, right? Where we think, you know, maybe the company's worth north of 120 billion, but it's, it's you know, due to being a conglomerate, they are, they have a conglomerate discount attached, right? So the CEO, Werner Baumann, who actually orchestrated this uh, catastrophous <laughs> deal with uh, Monsanto, where they paid $63 billion for it, and then absorbed a huge amount of lawsuits you know, after that, um, he eventually lost his job. That's just this year 
uh, due to activist investor pressure. Um, and so he is, you know, he's out. Uh, the investors have pushed for a new CEO. There's a guy named Bill Anderson who's in the seat now. And the chairman of the board basically has said it's his job to unlock the value of this company. So that has led to a ton of rumors uh, about spinning off this crop science division and possibly even the consumer health division. Now, if we do a little back of the napkin estimate on what this might be worth, now the, the crop science division is still very profitable, right? So last year, like I said, they did 25 billion in revenue and almost 7 billion in EBITDA. This year, those are gonna come down, let's say 22 billion in revenue and 5.5 billion in EBITDA. Even if we use like, you know, again, back at the napkin, 5.5 billion in EBITDA on a down year um, and multiply that by 10 uh, as a multiple, you, you could potentially see this going for 55 billion uh, euros, right? Now, you might get a discount on top of that. Let's say there's a discount of 10 billion due to the legal settlement risk. Even if you get 45 billion, if they get 45 billion for this company, that's a huge uh, chunk of cash. They could basically pay off all the debt if they felt like it. I, I doubt they would pay it all off, but it basically allows you to pay the debt off. And then you're uh, a debt-free company with very stable sort of um, revenues and cash flows minus the uh, patent cliff risk. Um, so, I mean, that's that's... That's sort of the, the quick version of the argument there. Um, there's a pretty high, ch I'd say there's a pretty high chance that this actually happens or that they find some other way of trying to unlock the value. Um, so now if we go back to risks, I'll just go over them quickly again. So the patent cliff is a risk. Uh, glyphosate license in, e the, the, in Europe is not renewed yet. That should be done by December. It may not be, that's a risk, although, just to go into that one for another second, like there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a high percentage of the global farming that's done in the EU. Um, most of it's done in China and the US, um, which, uh, you know, use this product. So, and, and in the US, I don't think there's any chance they're going to ban it. So um, that might be a small risk, uh, but I'm sure the EU is at least aware that if they ban this, then they're, um, their competitive, uh, they they aren't going to be able to be competitive on the farming side. So, but anyway, the governments, you never know what they're going to do. They might do stupid things. Um, another risk is the uh, glyphosate litigation. You don't really know where the end of that is. There can always be more lawsuits. Um, so that is an ongoing, uh, one that, that is, is not great. Uh, Another risk is the large debt. Now we have high interest rates right now, and you know, so the rollover risk is pretty high. If you if you have uh, if you have to um, roll over at higher rates, uh, it also becomes a risk if the EBITDA drops further, and then their covenants start being compromised. Right. So then, then you have an actual um, solvency risk. Now I don't think that I don't think we're anywhere near that, but that's just got to keep it in mind with a debt load this big. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. But the, the summary of the upside, let's finish on a positive is that within one or two years, I think one of two things is, is, is probable to happen. One is, is the value investing thesis. You get, you get a decent, uh, uptick in earnings and revenue next year, next year. And the stock re-rates from seven times earnings to maybe 10 times earnings. That would give you more than a 50% upside if they, you know, let's say they did 680, uh, in, 
in um, earnings per share times 10 gives you a 68 euro um, price. So that's more than 50% up from here. The Oh, plus you get the dividend as a in order to wait, um, which is a pretty healthy dividend at 5.8%. And the other the other uh, potential upside here is the spinoff. Now, if they did that, I, I imagine the stock would re-rate uh, very quickly. And it looks like the CEO has some incentive to do something pretty quickly because that's basically why he was he was put in the seat. Um, so yeah, that's basically that's basically it. This is kind of a special situation play if you look at it from that angle. Um, otherwise, just a normal, boring, uh, under underpriced value play. Thanks, guys, and I I will see you in the next uh, episode of Contrarian Corner.